0: Hey. Give him a hand. Give him a hand. Right. Come on, Jeez. come on, come on. Give it to me now. It might not be later. All right, we are finishing up the uh, fruits of the spirit, and it has been a uh, it's been a fun series for me to sit and listen to. I've got to teach on a couple of them, and this one was man, it was just a fun study for me uh, this week. If you will uh, stand, and we're going to read through uh, the scripture. We've done a big chunk of this every time, so instead of just kind of mindlessly letting your mind go, yeah, I kind of remember what that says, and get through this so you can set back down, the hope is that we're going to let this, this scripture get through us, not get through the time, but get through us and wash us. So here we go. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. And what does Jesus say about the kingdom of God? When is the kingdom of God? Now. Right now. But... The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such thing, there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step. With the Spirit. Amen? You may be seated. So, as I look, as I just meditated and chewed on that scripture this week, two things just jumped off the page, and that was the conflict and the cross. The conflict in the cross, we see the conflict in verse 17, and then we see reminiscence of the cross all throughout the rest of it, but particularly in verse 24 where it says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh. The conflict in the cross, that's where we're going to be today. And I was, as I was looking through the conflict, um, different searches, you know, you get in these internet searches, you click on this, it leads you to this, it leads you to this, well... I ended up with the Westminster Confession of Faith. That's not something that I read a lot or memorize. Um, But in chapter 13 of the Westminster Confession, uh, point 2, it says this. I thought it was a fantastic setting for where we're going to launch today. It says, this sanctification, that is this purification, this holiness, this us becoming like Jesus, this sanctification works in the whole person but not completely or perfectly in this life. The old sinful nature retains some of its control in our body and mind and spirit, and so a continual and irreconcilable war goes on in every believer. The old nature tries to get its way in opposition to the spirit, and the spirit fights to assert its authority over the flesh. There's a continual and irreconcilable war that goes on in every believer. There's no exceptions. So the very concept of self-control implies that there's a battle between a, a divided self, right? So we have these uh, desires that the self produces that instead of satisfying, we are to instead control so we can tell right away there's this divided self ran across some statistics this week 60% 60% of all cyber attacks are actually actually an inside job 60% 70% of all identity theft is an inside job of all theft and all fraud that takes place in America is actually as a result of an insider, an employee, and not an outsider. Theft is an inside job. But 100% of sin is an inside job. How do I know that? James 1.14 says this, e- each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. We're, we're dragged away by our, our, ourself. We drag us away. And we, what we see here is that when desire meets opportunity, meets temptation, we better be ready. Because if there's an opportunity but no desire, no big deal. If there's no desire but opportunity still no big deal. But when there's desire and there's an opportunity and temptation presents itself, we must be ready. First Peter says, "Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul." Do you see this battle? It's all throughout scripture. It's our desires versus our souls. So not only are we walking around in a battlefield. Not, not only are we living in a battlefield, you get this, right? that There are kingdoms, two kingdoms that are at work. They're, and a kingdom is just simply the dome in which someone is king. So we have the kingdom of God where, where Jesus is king, and then we have the kingdom that three times in John he calls the prince of the air or the kingdom of the air. Who, who's that? Satan. So, so we have the, this area where these two domes overlap, and, and earth is right in the crosshairs. So not only are we living in a battlefield, we actually are a living battlefield. There's this there's, there's internal war that takes place in each side of us. So, so each of us, we've got Tim and Nancy, right? All of us got Tim and Nancy. Tim, McGraw. I like it, I love it, I want some more of it, right? And then there's sweet little Nancy, Nancy Reagan. I was 16 years old when she looked in the camera and for the first time launched the campaign, Just Say No, right? And so Tim and Nancy, they're always at this battle because the work of the flesh and its remaining corruption is trying to pull us in the direction of it, gravitates to that which is anti-Christ. The flesh opposes Jesus. But the work of the Spirit pulls us in the other direction, to becoming more like what God created us to be. And so we're caught in this tug of war. So the question is, what is our part? What's our part? And because I just came up with this this morning, it didn't make the slide. So I want you to take out your Bibles. It can be on your phone. It can be in the pew in front of you, behind you. And turn to Ephesians chapter 4. We'll wait because I think this is important. What's our part? Ephesians chapter 4, starting at verse 22. It tells us to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through its deceitful desires. Look up here. Okay? So when you look back down, you're not going to look for 23, you're going to look for 24. Okay, so eyes back down, go to verse 24. And put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Look up here. Okay, so we're going from verse 22, the old life, and we're going to verse 24, the new life. How do we do that? It seems pretty important if we're to leave the old behind and cling to the new. Eyes back down, verse 23. To be made new in the attitudes of your minds. That is the bridge. It is the only bridge that will get us from the old life to the new life. If you want to change the way you live, say it with me, you have to change the way you, if you want to change the way you live, you have to change the way you think. You have to change the way you think. It is an internal battle. And if we don't go in and change the default setting in our minds, we can't imagine any version of the good life unless we get what we want. And culture is campaigning every day on our behalf. It says things like, nobody or nothing should stand in the way of you getting what you want. That's what the world is teaching us. And if anything or anyone does stand in your way, it's oppression. And it finally tells us one more time, if you can't get what you want, you won't be happy. Robert Roberts wrote an article in Christianity Today, a great title, called Psychobabble. And I love this quote. He says this, We've been led to believe, that means we've been educated into this, we've been led to believe that the self is sacrosanct, which just means the most sacred, right? used to be God, now we've made it us. So we've been led to believe that the self is sacrosanct, just as in an earlier time it was thought never fitting to deny God. Now it feels never right to deny oneself. That's the world squeezing us into its mold. Be true to yourself. Follow your heart. Just do it. Completely against what Scripture teaches us. Be true to Jesus. The heart is deceitful above all things. Just surrender it. So it seems like in 2022 that that it just seems like heresy to deny yourself. It goes upstream from everything that we've been taught. Roberts continues, So in our age, we must convince people that while it's wrong to deny one's true self, it is okay to deny false and lower selves. That was really helpful for me. You don't, we don't deny our true selves who God made us and created us to be. We're created in his image. Don't deny that. But we all have false and lower selves that try to drag us away, which is what James was referring to earlier. So the need, the need for self-control, I think we can see, it's critical. There's a war going on. God knows that our lower selves will always be tempted to overindulge and to live outside the boundaries that this good father has given us for our protection, for our good, and ultimately for his glory. He's a good father. Do you understand that? When he puts safeguards, when he puts rails in our life, it's only for our good. I like how we quote C.S. Lewis and probably even screw tape letters quite a bit. But I love that scene where one of the senior demons is talking to one of the junior demons and says this. says, never forget that when we are dealing with any pleasures in its healthy and normal and satisfying form, we are, in a sense, on enemy's ground. In- enemy meaning God. This is a demon talking to a junior demon. So anytime we're talking about pleasures, we're on enemy. ground ground. I know we have won many a soul through pre- pleasure. All the same, it's his invention, not ours. He made the pleasures. All our research so far has not enabled us to produce one. All we can do is to encourage the humans to take the pleasures which our enemy has produced at times or in ways or in degrees which he has forbidden, right? Right? That's when we get ourselves in trouble. It's do, doing maybe a right thing at the wrong time or a right thing with the wrong person, right? And that's where we get ourselves in trouble. I, I didn't add this to the slide, but probably my, my, my favorite line is the next one where he says, An ever-increasing craving for an ever-diminishing pleasure is the formula. You get that? You want want to see what the enemy's playbook is for you? It is to create an ever-increasing craving for an ever-diminishing pleasure. You just won't ever be able to get enough, no matter what you do. The writer of Ecclesiastes tells us that, right? He says, I denied myself nothing that my heart desired. Then he goes on to tell us, but that didn't work. But thousands of years later, we're still falling for it, right? In the words of the modern poet, little Uzi Vert, now I do what I want. Now I do what I want. Now I do what I want. And now you'll be singing that all day. But the reality is, we are anyways, aren't we? I mean, isn't that one silly song, doesn't it really capture the Western mindset? Now I do what I want. Now I do what I want, and nobody should tell me any differently. And you know what? Sometimes we forget what the church is supposed to be, where the church is supposed to be the boat in the water, but the water's not supposed to be in the boat, right? But we've let this mindset seep into the church and now you'll hear people in the church saying we we've been set free so we can live however we want no galatians five seventeen says you are not to do what you want true freedom true freedom is not the freedom to do what we want but the power to do what we ought through the power of the holy spirit We used to sing an old hymn when I was little. It said, make me a captive, Lord, then I shall be free. Seems backwards, seems like an oxymoron, but it's the most true thing out there. Make me a captive to you, and then I will be free. See, without self-control, without self-control, you are not free. In fact, without self-control, there's never a time where you're more vulnerable. Proverbs 25, 28 says it this way, like a city whose walls are broken down, or who broken through, is a person who lacks self-control. Isn't that such a vivid image? You got this fortified city with strong walls to, to protect it, but, but they're crumbled and they're broken down, and now the whole city is vulnerable. That's our lives when we lack self-control. We're defenseless. Galatians 6, 7, and 8 says this, do not be deceived, don't be deceived, what's the opposite of being deceived, live in the truth, and the truth sets you free, but don't be deceived, God cannot be mocked, a man reaps what he sows, whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction, whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life not just talking about someday when we die it's the abundant life in the here and now that's just how it is that's just the truth and we can try to fight against it but we'll lose every time when we are deceived we have a tendency to make excuses and we'll say things like i, I couldn't help myself no you didn't help yourself You could help yourself, you just chose not to. And so what I think is really important for us because we know that the truth sets free is just to be honest with ourselves. When we give in, when we give in, let's let's just all agree that we're gonna call it what it is. Let's just be honest. In that moment, we chose to love sin more than we love God, in that moment. And that's idolatry. It's against the first two of the Ten Commandments. No idols, no other God before me. And, and we violated that. We found our sa- satisfaction in someone or something other than God. Yes, Father, I know you want me to do this, but I'm going to do this instead. And just admitting that, just being honest. In sports, we, just, we call it non-jud- non-judgmental awareness. And what we're trying to get athletes to do is just capture, understand what your mind is actually saying. Don't just sit back and let it do all its yakking and all its talking and put seeds of doubt in your head. Don't don't do that, right? Don't step back in my sport and don't step back to the service line like, oh, don't miss this serve, don't miss this serve. No, non-judgmentally, non-judgmentally just say, what am I saying to myself? Is that helpful? No, it's not particularly helpful. Okay, aim small, miss small, boom. So that's all, that's all we're try, I'm trying to get you to do today is to just be when we sin, when we're walking down away from God, that we just call it what it is. In this moment, in that moment, I was loving that more than you. See, so making excuses blinds us, and it binds us. It's not helpful at all in us moving towards sanctification, for, in us moving towards becoming more like Jesus. I had a guy come to me, I don't know, three or four weeks ago, and he asked if I would pray for him about a sin issue. And I said, okay, no, but sort of. (laughs) So no, I'm not going to pray for you, but I'm going to offer up a tool that I think will help you so you won't need to come back to me. By the way, this wasn't the first time. Uh, So you won't have to come back to me and pray about this again. So here we go. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. By the way, if, if you have not hidden the word in your heart so that you might not sin against him, you're probably going to be in trouble, right? So you've got to have a few of these nuggets. I'm not saying you've got to have the whole thing memorized, but you better have a few that you can rely on when opportunity meets desire meets temptation, right? 1 Corinthians ten thirteen. No temptation has seized me. This is what I'm telling this guy. You've got to say this. You've got to know this. You've got to believe it. And then you won't fall into sin. No temptation has seized you except for what is common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up underneath it. Right? So so say that. Quote that back to God. I promise you the temptation will start to subside. God, thank you that you love me and that you live in me. Thank you that no temptation has seized me except for what's just normal to everybody else. And thank you that you're going to provide a way out. Greater are you who's in me than he who's in the world. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. And because of that, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is right within me. So, Holy Spirit, I'm calling shotgun. You take the wheel. Where would you have us go in this situation? He's not going to need to come back to me and pray about his sin. Because he's going to be victorious over it. That's what self-control is. Self-control. King James Version calls it temperance. It's the ability to control oneself. It involves moderation, constraint, and the ability to say no to our low, lower desires and fleshly lust. It's a skill. You've got to practice it. You've got to believe the truth. You've got to hide the truth in your heart so you can combat him when the time comes. And you've got to get to a point where ultimately, ultimately, you're more consistent concerned with what your sin might do to him than what he might do to you, right? We don't not sin because we're afraid the the eternal zapper is going to zap us, right? He's not Zeus, doesn't have a lightning bolt. That's not our God. That's the Greek God. Jerry Bridges puts it this way. Ultimately, self-control is the exercise of inner strength. Under the direction of sound judgment, that it enables us to do, think, and say the things that are pleasing to God. By the way, that little book is a fantastic book, short read. But it's an exercise. And just like exercise, you've got to do it on a regular basis. Sound judgment, where's that come from? The word and the spirit. The Word and the Spirit, you've got to spend time with both on a daily basis so that you can control the only four. Last time I was up here, four things that you can control and only four things that you can control. You remember what they are? Thoughts, words, feelings, and actions. That's it. That's all you got. You can't control another thing, but you can control those four. And this is, this is what we're talking about today. I'll show you here in a second. From the youngest one's to probably the oldest one in here this is for us this is for all of us this idea of self-control is paramount don't believe me let's turn to Titus chapter 2 Titus chapter 2 says you however must teach what is appropriate to, uh, to sound doctrine teach the who's he talking to here next word who is it older men so this is to the older men be temperate worthy of respect Self-controlled and sound in faith in love and endurance. Okay, so that's to the older guys in the room. Older ladies in the room, likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live. Not slanderers or addicted to much wine, which means self-controlled. Right, but teach what is good to who. So, so that's the older women. Now we got, got and we had the older men. What's next? Then they, the older women, can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children and to be self-controlled so that no one will malign the word of God. Okay, we've left a group out, right? Don't worry. Verse 6, similarly similarly encourage the young men to be self-controlled. There's nobody in here where this isn't for you. We've got the young, young men, young women, older women, older men. There's never a point where you graduate from working on self-control. There's never a point where we get all the teenagers in a room and we put the guys in one room and the girls in the other and we give them the talk. This is for all of us. We never get past it. But he goes on. And this is where we get to the... So so all that first part, that's the conflict. This is where we get to the cross. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. See, we never get with Jesus. We never get the what without getting the why and the how. You don't get the imperative without having the indicative, right? So, So this isn't self-improvement. This isn't just do it, just try harder. No, it's don't do this and we don't do that for the grace of God has appeared. It's not self-help. Alistair Begg puts it it this way. He's a a pastor in Cleveland. He says, religion says, become by self-effort what you are not. The gospel says, become by grace what you already are. Amen? But to do so, to become what we already are, we are going to have to deny those lower selves, those false selves. And Jesus says it this way. It says, if anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and be following me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. This is just, it's, there's no command here. This is just how it is. This is just life. This is how the world works. Jesus does this all the time, right? It's better to give than receive. The first will be last and the last will be first. Those who live by the sword will die by the sword. Nobody can serve two masters. Those are just facts. It's just how the world works. And so the facts, how the world works, we have two options. In this world where everybody wants option C, (laughs) there's no option C two options. The first one, deny Jesus, follow self. That's option one. Put desire on the throne of our heart. Say, now I do what I want. We are our own authority. And when we do that, we're going to be motivated by desire. The big three are up there. And when we chase that, when we're motivated by desire, we're going to be enslaved by want. And if you've ever noticed this, the more you get, the more you want. Famous quote of Rockefeller, you know, the old oil tycoon who at the time had more money than the rest of them put together. <laughs> One reporter asked Mr. Rockefeller, Mr. Rockefeller, when is enough money enough? What would you say? just a little bit more, just a little bit more, enslaved by want. And when you're motivated by desire and you're enslaved by want, you will lose your life. Option two, deny self, follow Jesus. Make it our number one aim, as Paul says, to please him, where we're no longer uh, only happy if we get what we want. You see, then we'll be motivated by love. And and, and for Paul, if you read his letters, the flesh is the antithesis of love. Every time he writes about it. Because flesh is about self-gratification. The spirit is always about loving others like Jesus. And when we're motivated by love, then we're free from the domination of want. And when that happens, you will, no doubt, it's a fact, you will find your life. We were at the men's retreat, and, you know, the Holy Spirit would just kind of move in, and Jonathan asked different people to share, uh, you know, what's, what's the Spirit saying? And uh, my worst fear, uh, my, and sometimes when I'm sitting in different places, I'm always thinking, wow, nobody calls on me, and then he calls on me. I'm like, I don't want to share this. This is kind of stupid. It's silly, but I'm going to share it for a second time. I was struck when we were sitting at the men's retreat and we were reminded of Homer's Odyssey. You know it's got to be God. If somebody 52 remembers back to when they read it at 16, what I can tell you is the best cliff notes I've ever read. But what I remembered about that and the, and the image that came to mind there at the men's retreat was of the sirens. You remember the sirens? I know Derek does. Derek, I'm not calling you out on this. You just said it when we were at the men's retreat that you did. So it wasn't the fact that they were naked ladies with, that were half birds, half ladies. It had nothing to do with that. Just remembered the story. But that's what the sirens were, right? Half girl, uh, half bird. And what they would do is they sang, say, they sang beautifully. And they sang such enchanted songs that as the boats and the ships would come by at night that the sailors would hear those voices and steer their, their ships toward them. And they wouldn't recognize that there was an island there and they would wreck the ship and they would ultimately perish and the sirens would share the loot. But then the hero of the story, Odysseus. What does Odysseus do? Odysseus puts wax in all of the sailors' ears, right? The guys who were rowing the boat. And then he ties himself to the mast because truth is he still wanted to hear. But he wanted to make sure that he would not go to the wheel and turn it in that direction and therefore destroy his life. I think that's a picture of immature self-control. It's a step in the right direction, right? But I, I don't think it's the full step. I think what we, in this analogy, we see the full step with the Argonauts, right? And and the Argonauts had a totally different approach. And and Orpheus, what Orpheus did is he got his harp and he had an incredible voice and he just sang a tune that was better. So so he didn't have to put wax in the ears. He didn't tie himself to anything. He just played a better song. And the sailors didn't want to listen to the sirens. They listened to that song, Do You See Where I'm Going Here?, If you don't have a better song than the pleasures of this world, than what sin has to offer, you're going to shipwreck your life. But if you'll tune your heart to hear what the Lord has to say, the beautiful song of love and grace, forgiveness, no matter how gratifying and satisfying and pleasurable sin is, it always leads to death. Jesus, on the other hand, his song always leads to the abundant life. I wish you all could be a part of the prayer team before service. Every time we're in there, at least the times that I'm speaking, literally they're praying everything that, in fact, those of you who are in there, you know that I've said most of what you all said in there. One of the big prayers from a couple of them was just that that there would be no shame, that we, we would be free of any kind of condemnation. So if in your mind you've been thinking, yeah, it's easy to say, but you don't know how I've screwed up. I just want to say to you, welcome to the club. That's what the church is. At the end of the day, just a bunch of screw-ups who've all messed up. We've sowed into the flesh. We've gratified the flesh. But you know what? The whole time we were in that downward spiral, the cross was still true. The blood was still shed. He's saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's what he was saying from the cross. He's saying, I see you. I know every one of you. You are because I am. Nothing was created without me. I love you. I want you. I hope This proves that to you. You're worth it. You're worth it. You're worth the price that he paid. And he looks at us and he says, I know what you're going to look like if I live in and through you. I know what you look like. So will you deny that lower self and surrender? What the cross did not say what the cross did not say is, "I hope you're happy." This is what your sin did to me. No, that is not Jesus. That's something totally different. He says, "I'm thrilled to lay down my life for you, so that you can find yours." Ain't nobody taking my life. I lay it down freely. I was bruised and battered because I knew you would be bruised and battered. I was beaten beyond any kind of recognition so that you would never forget your true identity. I was separated so that you would be forever joined. I died so that you could forever live. That's what the cross says, amen? One of you think that's pretty good. The band's gonna come back up. Psalms 37.4, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. When you delight yourself in the Lord, when we do that, our desires change, don't they? So you can call that whatever you want. You can call it self-control. You can call it Holy Spirit control, whatever you want. He calls it better. So I just want to close with Philippians 2. Let me just read this over you as kind of the first benediction before we give him all the praise. Philippians 2.13 says, it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. That's the fruit of the Spirit. Do you get that? It's him living in us who causes us to will and to act to actually please him. He partners with us to please him. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Will you stand? Father, you are... It seems like the Duff factor of the day, but you—you are better. You are better, better than—and I know at there are times in moments of our lives where we actually don't believe that, which is why we trade you for something lesser. Then we generally feel guilty, feel bad about ourselves, and start this cycle over again. Thank you so much that you're there when we return. Thank you that there is no condemnation in you, that there is no temptation that has seized us except for what's normal to just anybody. Thank you that you provide a way out. Thank you that you live in us. Father, may we be be true believers. May we believe the truth and let the truth then set us free. Free from the demonic tricks. Free from... The narrative of the culture. Just trust your heart. Be true to yourself. There's something bigger and better out there. We'll never find our true selves by chasing it ourselves. It's only by surrendering to you and saying, "God, what would you have of me?" So as we sing and worship, prayer team always comes up on each side of the stage. And there may just be one person in here today, and we're not going to be watching for you. By the way, if you want to go pray in the back, you can do that too. It's not about being seen, but it is about taking a step of saying, I surrender. Man, I've been in there rat race for long enough. I've tried playing whack-a-mole with every little sin that comes up, and then another one pops up, and another and it just seems like this endless pattern, I quit. I surrender to you, Jesus. So if you would like for somebody to have a conversation with you about that, if you'd like to pray about anything that doesn't have anything to do with what I talked about today, that's the beautiful thing about this. Holy Spirit wants to meet us here. So would you just give Holy Spirit access to your heart over the next two, three, four minutes? If he wants you to move towards somebody to, to pray, great. If he wants you to sit down and pray in your own seat, that's wonderful. he wants you to raise your hands and, and praise him in the last song, that's fantastic too. Holy Spirit, seal this in Jesus' name, amen.